You're listening to SpartanUpPodcast.com, where we study success and everything required to create it. We interview people from all over the world that are successful, no matter how they define it. All right, we're back here at the farm once again at the Spartan Up Podcast. I am uh, Tim Nye, Colonel Nye. So welcome everybody. To my right here, I got Sephra, the seed queen. I've got Joe, and I've got Johnny, the doctor, the mind doctor. And today we're going to be talking about um, Barry Sternlich. Barry Sternlich, uh, real estate developer. Starwood, Star, Starwood Holdings. Um, anybody knows the W Hotel chain or Starwood? Um, that was Barry. Barry had a had a vision. Uh, I don't want to get into exactly what he talks about in the podcast, but but what, one thing he does say is. Uh, he was, he was busted at 31 years old. He lost his job. He was actually collecting unemployment. So um, anyone who says, hey, it's too late, I didn't go to school, this, that, I was actually shocked that a person could amass uh, the level of wealth and success this person has done in such a short period of time that late in life. Because that, that's pretty rare. That's not... Um, well, 31's not like so late in life, is it? Well, to, to, to now... massive fortune. Massive fortune. Uh, to start then, you'd think you'd think you would have started... I know... Yeah, I think you would have started younger to, well, to, to, to start how many, a business. How many of these broadcasts have we already done where whoever it was started at a very early age uh, to, to achieve that greatness? So, I, I mean, I guess he had started, but on a different path. Let's, let's, see let's how find did. out how he does it. Yeah, let's find out exactly. how he does it. Let's do it. Ready? We are here, Spartan Up the Podcast, at Amy Lodge in Pittsville, Vermont. It's a little cold. I don't know. What would you say? 40 degrees? Yeah, something like that. We're with Barry Sternlich. He is a um, superstar when it comes to real estate and, and hotel investing, probably one of the best in the nation. Uh, created the W. Mm-hmm. Um, how many years ago was that? The first one opened in 1998. First one in the world. Yep. And, and was that the beginning of, of your um, real estate empire? Was, was that the first idea you had? Or? No, I kind of got fired from my job when I was 31. So that was 1991. When you're 31 years old, most people feel like they're past their prime even at that point, right? And you, you had the gumption to pick it up and really really just begin at that point? Yeah. I found a, my a classmate from school and a kid from college, and the three of us, we formed a firm in Chicago. And uh, I convinced some guy to give us a couple million bucks to invest, and we started buying apartments. In Chicago? No. All over the place, in Denver, Greensboro, South Carolina, San Antonio. We actually did a little work, figured out where the best apartments markets were, and spent about three or four months just researching it. And I borrowed the money to pay us a salary. So, um, so you, in other words, you, you raised enough money to um, invest, but you didn't raise enough money to pay your bills. <laughs> no, and I, I didn't have a kid yet. I wasn't married. I actually was married, but no kids. So I decided it was a good time to set off on my own. I would never take the risk after I had a little guy that I was depending on me to succeed. So this was sort of high risk, high reward. So it's, um, it's 91, you raise enough money to, to buy buildings. By the way, that's like a trough in the real estate market, 91, it's a crash. Right? It was the crash. It was the crash. It was the first savings and loans crisis. Yeah. So I did everything different than my prior boss, you know, who I had been with. I went to cities that he wouldn't think of investing in. Like he'd go to Dallas and Houston because the institutions went there. And I went to San Antonio because it was more Hispanic, but they actually never moved out of apartments. <laughs> and uh, they had high occupancies and um, rents didn't justify new construction. So um, we did a lot of things in the 
inverse of what, I also structured our firm differently than my prior, we took no fees or anything until the investors got their money back. So they liked that because I aligned my interests with them. And uh, we kept that structure now for 23 years. So that was smart. So um, investors were uh, excited, right? You weren't, a lot of times with a hedge fund, people are making money before the yeah. investors make money. Our management fees just basically covered our salaries, which were modest. And we took it all at the end. If we did well for the investors and gave them their money back, we got a cut of the profits. So 91, you're only talking about a 20-something year run. You've, you've um, amassed a hell of an empire. And this, you think this was um, due to the structure? Is it due to the fact that real estate exploded from that point? A combination of the both? Uh, the I'd like to say is hard work. That's right. what I'm going to say it was. The hard work. And I, I was telling you earlier, briefly, that I did go to school. I was a liberal arts major. And then decided to go to business school to actually learn some skills because I didn't learn anything. Really, I, I learned to think as a liberal arts major, but I didn't really learn like how to balance, a, how to read a balance sheet or any, how, to, how, to be, uh, how to be a business guy. So um, a lot of it was common sense, I think, which is underrated. Um, but I worked really hard. And uh, I like to say perseverance is genius in disguise. I actually saw it in a fortune cookie when I was in high school. And I kept it until I lost my wallet. <laughs> How long? I kept it in my wallet. You, when did you lose your wallet? I, probably when I was 24. So I had it for like eight years. Right. And then I lost my wallet. But I actually, somebody recently gave me a silver cookie with Perseverance it's Genius in Disguise yeah. in it, a silver fortune cookie, which is fun. I like and that. And then I say, is luck is when preparation meets opportunity. That's a great thing. So you create yeah. your own luck, right? And, and the other two things that I heard in business school, which I've always thought about, was be careful where you set your goals because you may achieve them. Right. And uh, I think that really defines my career. You know, today we're a $40 billion asset manager. We're, we're one of the largest in the world. And um, if I ever thought it was crazy, I would have stopped. <laughs> like right. back in the mid-90s, we bought uh, ITT, Sheridan, which was a $14 billion company. And uh, we were sort of a startup, and we are bidding against Hilton Hotels. And everybody knows Hilton, but nobody's ever heard of a Starwood. <laughs> and um, I was going up in the elevator at the St. Regis in New York, and like it was a national television. I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> I don't know how to run a company. So I didn't get scared. I just did it, right? And I, and I figured it out. And I made sure that I brought good people in and, and, and got the skill sets we needed to not go bankrupt and, and build a successful enterprise. So, Have you had was, any, any dips along the way over these 20-plus years? Sure. Like uh, with the latest financial crisis in 07 and 08, many of our funds, when, when we call them go out of the money, meaning that we could see that we were barely going to return on our investors' capital. You know, we've made some mistakes that were – I, I look at financing and investing a little like everything else in life. It has mechanical failure and pilot error, and I'm okay with mechanical failure. I mean, we, we couldn't stop the financial crisis, but I, I'm not happy with mistakes we make. So you just retool yourself, and you learn a lot. We learned a lot from the crisis, and it was really grim days. Also, when I came back, I was running Starwood Hotels, which I started ten years in 1995, and I, ran it and I was a founder and CEO and chairman for 10 years. And I left in 05. When I came back to Starwood Capital Group, my private firm, um, we were in a good spot. I had to sort of ramp it up. What was, and, um, Starwood was um, basically what you purchased for the $14 billion. That became Starwood? No. no. So I started Starwood Capital, the private firm, when I was 31. At 91. And then we rolled in a bunch of assets into a public company, and that became what became Starwood Hotels. Got it. And I ran both of them. But my day job was running Starwood Hotels from 95 to 2005. And, my, and in my evenings, I kept Starwood Capital, my private investment firm, that did all kinds of real estate, not just hotels, alive. Got it. And then when I left in 05... 
because I was tired of running a public company. I went back to start with Capital, and that today has become a big business. A big business. And um, your dad was a Holocaust survivor, so um, it wasn't just the fortune cookie. I mean, I'm sure he gave you some lessons along the way. Uh, when your father it was nine, when the Nazis threw him out of his home, and his father was uh, my grandfather was sent to a Russian work camp. It, it it's always better than it's always good, right? It's always it's, good. It's always good. <laughs> it's not, all it's good, good, right? It can't be. It could be worse. Man, you, like exactly. <laughs> Whenever you think it's bad, it's, it could have been worse. And it's a great country. I mean, they, my father. Did he say that? Was that something that resonated around the house? Like when you said, "Oh, you know, no, I don't really like the cereal." He never wanted to talk about the war. I mean, he didn't talk about the war. It was only when I was thirty-eight I took him back to Poland, where he uh, he left Poland. He walked and fought with the partisans in the Czechoslovakian mountains. The Russians rescued him. And I, I asked him if he killed anybody. It took me 38 years to ask, and my siblings never asked him, and he did shoot a few Nazi guards. Wow. So I figured it made me tough, um, kicked me down, and that's what keeps me going is, you know, when there's adversity, I just want to prove everyone wrong. I just get up, and I'm going to beat the shit out of people. <laughs> yeah, right. Not really, but, I mean, it, it's not that. It's just it makes you tough, right? And, it, and it, you're just amazing, an amazing country. You can do whatever you want. You can... And you really what you gotta can. do is do it, right? You just gotta just actually do it. Do it. Yeah. Hope isn't a business strategy. Yeah, right. Right? You gotta make it happen. And, yeah. and you can. If, and it's really, look, uh, everyone has 24 hours in a day. How you choose to use them is up to you. It's this fair world, right? And you can do whatever you want. And I always wanted to make enough money that I wouldn't have to worry about things. And for my kids, that so they could do whatever they want and they'd just be happy. And um, I've accomplished that, so I'm not exactly sure why I'm still doing what I do. But there's always a new challenge. You know, it's a little like a shark. They stop swimming, they die. So right. for me, it's like I keep going. It's what I do. It's my sport. I would wish I'd been a professional something, tennis player, but didn't have that skill set. So at this, I'm pretty good. So, and I, I love design. I love architecture. So for me, that's not really work right. today. Yeah, you got to do what you love. So one of the things we try to talk to Spartans about is you got to define true north for yourself, right? What, you gotta start with your legacy. What do you want your legacy to be? So when did that, was that in 91? When did that happen? Like, this is what I'm gonna do. No, it's always been just sort of ad hoc adventure. Um, I think as I got, I've gotten older now, I, I think about my legacy and, and I think that chapter's not even been written for us and for me. I mean, I, we're, we try to give, be very philanthropic. We've picked causes now. We, we, we're very focused on education and um, diabetes research, stem cell research for that, and I'm chairman of Robin Hood, which is the nation's largest poverty fighting organization based in New York City. So I just love having the opportunity to do that. You know, that, that's just a real blessing to have been successful enough to give it away and, and then change people's lives. And I hope, I hope, I mean, I've never talked about my legacy before, but I want to do more there. You know, I'll probably go back and teach at some point. And I, I like talking to kids. I like inspiring people. I you know, I started with nothing, absolutely nothing. And uh, you had a fortune cookie. I had nothing. I went to public high school. I had nothing. You know, so my dad came here, the sweater. You know, it was mom's and my grandmother's sweater you know, on a, on his back, and he he was an engineer, and he he never looked back. And he, you know, he he always told me what a great country this was, and I needed to appreciate it. And I do. I, I really think it's an amazing place. And you think what you can do here and you can't do elsewhere if you work hard and take some risk and try. But I think the key is just picking yourself up off the ground and bucking adversity because the world will knock you down. It is not a straight line. You know, I was, I was collecting unemployment. My wife was telling me the unemployment line when I was 31. Wow. And uh, I was like, 
I just look forward, not back, right? Yeah. Keep keep going forward. Well, what do you north. what do you say to the kids, or the people uh, that maybe have it a little easier than you had it, that aren't on an unemployment line, that haven't faced risk, that don't have a dad that you know went through what your dad went through, right? They had it a little easy. How do they? They don't necessarily have that wiring. Uh, yeah, the, the key isn't the money. That's nothing to do with it. It's to find something they're passionate about, which they like. That's all you want from your kids. I do think having goalposts like that, which is financial. I mean, when I was young, I didn't have the money, and I wanted to have a pool, right? I, I, I thought it was so cool. Um, you know, so I, so I think it kind of helped me having that goalpost. And I think when kids grow up more affluent than that, it, you're almost stealing something from them in terms of that isn't really that important to them. And, and maybe that, that they bounce around the walls a little bit more. They, they explore. I just hope they recognize that if they want to be a park ranger, just be good at it, be the best you can be. And I'd be totally happy with that. An artist, I wanted to be an artist. My mom told me I'd starve. So now I do uh, art through hotels <laughs> and design. And, and uh, I love that. I love working with really talented interior peoples and architect. And I'm pretty good at it. So... Um, and they like working with me. They, I'm one of the two businessmen in the country in the Interior Design Hall of Fame. Wow. There you go. Wow. <laughs> My most important accomplishment. <laughs> How would, what would you, me. you said you, you recently spoke and you gave some advice to the graduating class, right, on how to be successful. Give us a couple of pointers on... Um, well, I, the things I said to you earlier, I mean, be careful when you set your goals, you may achieve them. Find the freight trains in your life and get on them instead of in front of them. Uh, sounds silly, but it really is important. Like, what are the trends that are going to be in your lifetime, whether today it's mobile or technology or innovation or, or clean living, healthy food? Um, it's easier to go with the flow than up the, up the, the huge against, uh, it, yeah. against it. And so it's important to figure out, you know, and if they match with your interests, then that's an easy career. And also I tell them, don't worry about your first job. You know, it's really important to learn. Don't don't run before you walk, right? It's like training for Spartan. You gotta take it slow and then pick it up and ante it up. And it's the same thing in life, right? Just take your time, exercise at the beginning, which is get a job where you can learn, right. and and find. Uh, I had a kid who worked for me for zero, for nothing. He slept on the floor, and um, and he really wanted to learn. And I totally respected that. Of course, I paid him because I was feeling bad about it. But he said, "I'll work for you for nothing." And that's really important because you have to have, it's, it's not instant gratification. And I just worry today that a lot of the kids want that. It just doesn't exist really. Those are the, those are, that's hard. I mean, not, you don't get anything without hard work, whatever it is you're trying to do. And, and accountability, you're responsible for yourself. Don't be a victim, right? I mean, be, uh, be, the, be the change you want to be right in the world. Yeah, right. I mean, it's, you're responsible for your life. So for me, I think uh, teaching kids that they really, set their aspirations high because um, it's terrible to look back and say, I wish I'd tried that and never did it because I was afraid. And I think that's athletics too. You know, it's like you push yourself until you can't go any further. And then you just say, I did. And I think I told when I left Starwood Hotels, I gave a, a speech in front of 5,000 people at a global conference. And I said, I, you know, I look back at everything you did and I just gave you everything I had. I have no regrets. I left it all on the court. I think that's the way you got to play life. I think it's like, you know, no regrets. I did the best I could do, whatever that was, whether I, won, I succeeded or didn't. I just tried the very best it, I it had. Gave it all. I think that's in life. That's you. That's fantastic. That you can say that's that. all you could ask for. Right. What's your favorite exercise? <laughs> There's no such thing as a favorite exercise. <laughs> I, I mean, in sports, I like basketball and tennis. 
and golf now, but uh, I love to work out. I work out a lot. Um, I think it's really important. It's my time out, actually, is to spend time just sweating it, it, sweating and selfish hour. I like Bikram yoga. I like uh, I do a lot of dynamic movement today. I like pull-ups, I guess, now. I'd say pull-ups and chin-ups and pull -ups stuff like suck. that. And then windshield wipers. Windshield wipers are good. Yeah. They're very good. Yeah. All right, cool. Anything else? Uh, I think we got it. That's it. You listen, right. to, you listen to this and you'll be successful. That's it. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Just leave it all out Just there. Just add water. <laughs> yeah, you know, amazing story. But, you know, to be honest, here I am. 29, you know, and I've amassed, you know, two or three teepees over the past couple of years. <laughs> so as a fellow uh, hotelier, I can say, you I think can't it's a great story, but... Um, you can't really compare like, two or three teepees to what he's done. I mean, yeah, you had to... It's about the ratio. Well, you can, you can compare it. <laughs> it doesn't have to be favorable. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and you don't, you're not running at like 95% occupancy. No, uh, sure, the, the chipmunks are always coming. I, I, actually, I'm going to tell you, I've stayed in W Hotels. They're magnificent. I've not stayed, but I've hung out in uh, that teepee. I, th I think they are comparable. Ti ti time out. <laughs> Pretty time out. You get fire. Hello. Uh -oh. Unfortunately, we don't know if Sephra will be back. We've had some technical difficulties. One of our uh, lights caught on fire thanks to a large fly. Exactly. And I was a little concerned when uh, Colonel Nye yelled fire, I ducked. <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you on that one. <laughs> well, I, I didn't rush right over, but I guess right, I should have. Back. All right. She's back. Fire okay? okay so we're, we're on camera there. So, yeah. So our hotelier is back, which is fantastic. Uh, Joe, you, you had a great uh, conversation there. Barry, Barry's awesome. Uh, great story. Anybody that has built a business or, or built um, TP. something, TPs, um, <laughs> knows how difficult that challenge is, right? Yeah. Or, or doing a race. Um, mm -hmm. This is a race of a whole different magnitude. This is, this is the equivalent of running around the world. Rather than doing a 100-mile run, what this guy did is he ran around the entire world with no shoes, yeah. right? Because, um, because that, the, the magnitude, that number of employees, uh, probably on the scale of the the military, you'd get it. It's hard to, to make that all work, right? And raise the funding and make sure the bills are paid and do all that construction. And he, he manages $40 billion worth of real estate right now. It's astonishing. Astonishing. Yeah, and, and again, we've talked before about uh, the hours in the day and people who spend time being bored and looking for something to do. There's always something to do. Well, I spend time with him. There's not three seconds of free time in his life. Not three seconds. Yeah. He's moving, he's on the phone, he's thinking, he's making it happen. Sure. Now, and there's a whole other conversation there, too. I know Sephra talked before about how important it is to sit down and be still in nature, and it might have been a while since Barry's done that. Uh, so, so there's the idea of balance, too. And you, you, you're around a lot of successful people. What do you think about that whole balance piece? Well, so what I like about Barry is he stays fit. Mm -hmm. He eats healthy and he stays fit. And, um, and what drives me absolutely nuts is that, is that CEO or, or CFO or CEO, whoever he is, that high-level uh, ranking officer in the, in the organization that goes off the tracks is drinking soda every day, gets completely unhealthy, uh, retires, amassing this, this uh, great business card and this wealth, and then goes fly fishing in Montana and dies. Yeah, sure. Doesn't make any sense, yeah. right? You were, able to, you were able to play at your A game on this side of your life and you couldn't get it together over there? I don't, I don't understand I it. say going pro on both sides, right? Yeah, yeah. You if got, you're going to go pro, go you're pro. Going, yeah. And I heard the soda dig one more time, so, uh, but, so I didn't really respond to that. But anyway, I, I was also taken by when he was talking about risk, uh, and he said he did this at 31, and he was married but not yet had any children. And it was interesting that he, that he said, if I'd have had children, might I, would, not have I, I, I don't even know if he said might not. I think he said I wouldn't have. But, but either way, just the fact that that comes into play, that he did, a, he did a risk assessment, essentially, right? And what am I willing to risk 
uh, when, I, when I have that responsibility of a wife. But where does that, that responsibility you, now you, that, Well, that struck, that struck home with you because I remember a story you told me when you were hanging out of a tree in a parachute I, getting shot at. Right. Uh, I came home. Uh, this was years and years ago, although it's, it's, it's interesting. When I was 31, um, and we had gone down to Panama, and we jumped out, and I ended up in a tree, and I ended up with people shooting at me, and they came very, very close. But anyway, I, I thought about it when I came home, and I told my wife I ended up getting a vasectomy because I thought, you know, I'm going to continue to do this for a living. Uh, and I'd, I'd have been, it'd been a shame if I would have left two children behind. It'd be doubly shame if I leave four or five behind. Sure. So I went out and got that fixed because, exactly, I wanted to continue doing what I was doing, but I didn't want more risk. No, that's completely fair. I was lucky when I was young. Um, a 50-year-old, very successful guy said to me, you need to take the risk now. You need to go for it because once you're married and have kids, you're not going to be able to. And you don't understand that as an 18-year-old kid. Mm -hmm. But thankfully, I listened to him and I went for it. Yeah. But but you think you know you think when you think of a business as a, an endurance event you think of a hotel uh, somebody who owns that many hotels what's the finish line right I mean how do you how do you even mentally prepare yourself for an an endurance race like that 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 just has no end conceivably right I, can, I mean it's like TPs everywhere yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. booties everywhere that's a great that's question a good, when you put you it know, in, I mean how do you mentally train yeah. for that when you put it in a racing context I know a lot of our viewers we coming from a racing background or at least um, getting into racing um, a lot of people think that the ultimate race is a marathon right 26 miles how do you run a marathon you say you go left foot right foot for 26 miles but we see a lot of people run a lot bigger races across the country, you know, a thousand miles, 500 miles right here in, in the backyard. Seven marathons and seven continents yeah. in seven days. And the answer is left foot, right foot until you get to the finish line. So here's a guy who's built this massive real estate empire. You know how he does it? He gets up and he works every day and his finish line just happens to be further out. And so he's just working for a bigger goal. So I think that... um, It all starts with making your bed in the morning. Sure, yeah, right. exactly, yeah. absolutely. And, he makes and, and uh, matter, eight no matter million beds. In the <laughs> <laughs> he makes a million beds, that's right. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting, though. What, what is it that others saw in him? You know, because we talk a lot about leadership. Or what and, he saw and in they, himself. Well, what he saw in himself, but he had to sell himself because he didn't sure. have money. Yeah. So he had to go get the investors, and he talked about having the money, you know, he, the money that he had, and he, he got it, and then they have to they pay couldn't himself. make payrolls, they couldn't could, pay himself. Right. Yeah. So, but he's got to go and convince somebody that he could. Else they wouldn't have invested in them. Well, I mean, I don't want to go down a rabbit hole, but but it is interesting. When I became um, capable of actually investing in other things as opposed to looking for investors, um, investors are looking for jockeys to bet on, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. There's lots of money out there, and so you're right. It's just a matter of which jockey are you going to bet on because it's a, it's a tough game to be an investor, right? You got to you not only got to bet on the right jockey, you got to bet on the right horse, and then the environment's got to be conducive to racing that day. Right. It brings right? me back to your great question you asked before, though. You asked about confidence and how people develop confidence and the importance of it. And when you think about it, when somebody walks into you and they're going to pitch that you need to invest in their, you know, yeah. Yeah. yeah, huge idea, it's all about confidence. If that person comes in and they don't project that they know it's going to be successful, you're not going to invest in. They might have the greatest idea in the world, and if they're introducing it without confidence, so you know, I'm just right. thinking back to what you yeah. said a while ago. Right. Confidence—that's everything. It's the OA. And, and I think about and I think about a uh, podcast we did with uh, the best explorer of our time, uh, Rand Fines, right? Mm -hmm. And him and his wife—they they got 1,900 investors over seven years where they didn't get paid for anything to go find the lost city of Arabia, yeah. or for one of their expeditions that took them eight different times, right? And that's complete dedication, complete confidence, and having a belief in something. So you, I, I think, I think. 
think you're exactly right. And and ultimately they were successful, but it's because they they were able to push through that and overcome those obstacles, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's amazing it. how many different um, expressions of success we're seeing. You know, here's a guy who's incredibly successful on a business front. We've seen other people who uh, they're not defining it by by financial means. You know, you've got a, a, a climber. I don't know if we've seen that one yet or if it's coming up, but great guy. Probably doesn't have a couple of dimes to rub together, but he's living a very successful life on his own right. So that's part of what really fascinates me is how many different definitions of, of success you're finding. But again, at the end of all this, what we're trying to call out of this is what are the common themes that whatever your definition of success is, there are probably still some common things you have to do to get there, whether it's long-term vision, whatever else will come up with them. But I'm really, I'm enjoying this process being on right here. That reminds me of, uh, if I may quickly, my, one of my favorite kids books of all time, right, is called uh, The Search for Delicious. And what they do is they go th all throughout the magical kingdoms and they say, they try to get the trolls and the trees and the mermaids in the water what their definition of delicious is, right? Because everyone has a different definition. Is it the chocolate cake or is it the climate tree or whatever? And I think, I think it's a, it just made me think of that when you said different definitions of success. Mm -hmm. So if you have kids, you guys should read that book. So if, you don't have a, if you don't want <laughs> if you don't. to watch the podcast, feel free to read that book and you'll get everything you need to know about success in life, I guess. But what if they, do, the what if they want to find delicious. out more about the podcast, Joe? If you want to find out more about the podcast, go to SpartanUpPodcast.com. You can learn about Johnny the Doctor. If you have any medical needs, just reach out to him. You've got, my, new, you've got, my new Pooties Children <laughs> Library and my teepees. You've got Safra, who's running a series of um, TP and child children's book Enchanted. Rewilding uh, retreat. Re rewilding retreats <laughs> on the side of the mountain. And Colonel Nye, in case you run into a really difficult situation in life, give him a call. And I'll call uh, some of my friends. Fire starts. <laughs> call some of his friends. And um, you, the problem will be eliminated. <laughs> Thank you. The Spartan Up Podcast is brought to you by Spartan Race Incorporated. To find a race near you, visit Spartan.com. Interviews were conducted by Joe DeSena with help in the UK from Del Grismo. Video and audio production by Marion Abrams with audio post-production by Aaron Moore. Thank you for listening to another epic story of success. And don't forget to visit SpartanUpPodcast.com to find videos of every episode along with notes and lessons.